0: Becky, can we? It's an old song, Jesus, Jesus, the sweetest name I know. Do you remember that? If you can. I was listening to um, the song just now, thinking about back when Becky and I were younger, about what we believed God wanted to do in our lives. it and pondered that question about our lives. This is a song that we used to sing together so often, and I know that most of you might know this song, the Gaithers wrote it, Jesus, Jesus, the sweetest name I know. And as I remember back, I kind of go back to when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. And I told my parents I wanted to be an astronaut. My parents never told me I couldn't do anything. They always, even during those days when it was darkest, they would say, study hard, work hard, you can do that. So one day I was sharing that with another adult because my parents had believed in me that I wanted to be an astronaut. And uh, they looked at me and I respected them. They were a voice of authority in my life. He says, you can't be an astronaut. I said, why can't I be an astronaut? They said, because you have fillings in your teeth. And I was like, you can't be an astronaut if you have fillings in your teeth? And he says, no, because they'll just rattle right out of your head. Well, I didn't have sense enough to question them. I just believed them. So I came up with my dream of being an astronaut. Years later, I'm a dad. My oldest son Andrew at the time is thinking he wants to go into the Air Force and he wants to be a pilot. And I'm telling him about my dreams of learning to be a pilot and to be an astronaut. I said, but I couldn't. He goes, why dad? I said, because I have feelings in my teeth. He goes, I'll keep you from being an astronaut. I said, yeah, that's why you've got such good teeth, is I want you to be able to get your dreams. So at the time Governor John Ashcroft of Missouri, who is the Attorney General, he wrote a letter of recommendation for Andrew to go to the Air Force Academy. We went to the Air Force Academy. And we're getting a tour. Andrew is looking at everything. Of course, he changes his mind later and wants to go in the Army. But I'm telling somebody out there, I said, you know, when I was a kid, I had dreams of being an astronaut. And I said, but I couldn't. They said, why not? I said, because I have fillings in my teeth. Guy looks at me like I've lost my ever-loving mind. He says, what's that got to do with anything? I said, well, you can't be an astronaut. You can't be a pilot if you've got fillings in your teeth. He says, yes, you can. I've got fillings in my teeth. Do you know how dumb I felt? I mean, I am so glad God called me to be a pastor, but... I have wondered so many times how many times people have given up on their dreams because somebody that they respected, somebody told them, "You can't be an astronaut." When I was called into ministry, I, I, I sat on that for a long time. Talked with my parents about it. I went to our guidance counselor about it. Talked with her her. She gave me great encouragement. My. Librarian chewed me out because I had a scholarship from the state of Georgia and just thought it was the stupidest thing that she'd ever heard of. And then, uh, someone that I know is a very godly man who's now in heaven, but he looked at me and he said, son, big old hands. He laid them right on my shoulders. He said, son, you can never be a pastor. I said, I can't. He said, number one, you don't have a big enough diaphragm to preach with. And number two, he says you don't have a strong enough voice have I ever proved him wrong <laughs> he says number three he says Denny you're just going to have to learn to live with those limitations that God let you be born with and I believed him matter of fact I believed him so much that I went to prayer I went to fasting as a matter of fact when you work for Pigley Wiggly, the hardest thing in the world to do is fast because even Hamburger Helper looks good when it's coming down the belts. You will need the box. And I remember I went out to my pickup truck and I sat in the pickup truck in the back of the Piggly Wiggly parking lot and I said, Lord, I can't be a pastor. And I don't know how to explain this to you, but sitting in that pickup truck, the Spirit of the Lord came down in that cab. Wisdom with me. And this verse of scripture came to mind I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Don't ever let anybody tell you you can't be an astronaut. Don't ever let anybody tell you what you can do and can't do when God puts something on your heart. Holy Spirit, I am asking you this morning because I believe you're going to call. Call us, Lord. You're gonna call us out to those places like you did the disciples when you said, Come follow me. Maybe some of us you're gonna call, like you said, to the disciples, put out into the deep and let down your nets. Lord, you're gonna call some to go with you to Gethsemane. You're gonna call all to follow. I pray jesus and no one will make the mistake of thinking this is going to be a, a sweet little message about setting an example like we would tell our children but that we would aspire lord to be like our savior jesus christ and god what perhaps we're thinking is impossible through christ all things are possible and i ask you to speak each and every single one of us. Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Two passages of scripture while you're standing. And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching into into and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. We're looking at what power of God and how the power of God was manifested after the day of Pentecost in the church's life so that so many were added daily to the body of Christ that the Lord was adding them here's a story that you're going to recognize one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee he saw two brothers Simon also called Peter and Andrew Simon's nickname as you know was the rock Simon was not one that you would have thought would have been an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was a pretty salty fellow himself. He saw them throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. And a little further up the shore he saw two older brothers, James and John. Now these two boys had a problem with their temper. James and John sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee repairing their nets and he called them to come too and they immediately followed him leaving the boat and their father behind. And Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee teaching in the synagogues announcing the good news about the kingdom. Now look at this. He healed every kind of disease and illness. News spread about him as far as Syria. The people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. Whatever their sickness or disease, if they were demon-possessed, or epileptic, or paralyzed, he healed them all. Don't you want to see that again? Large crowds followed him for wherever he went. He went to Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all Judea, from east of the Jordan River. That'd be like saying he went from Monroe all the way up to Munisi all the way over to Copper Harbor, all the way back down to Traverse City, all the way back down to Holland, Michigan, and then back over here to Woodland Church in Brownstown, Michigan, is where he would have ended up at. And all came from those places to see him. He did amazing miracles. I want you to turn to your neighbors and say to them this morning, I want God to use me. Would you do that? Just turn to them real quickly and then you can be seated. I want God to use me. God bless you. You can be seated. I, some days, I really miss being a youth pastor. Being a youth pastor meant that you had a lot of fun. Being a youth pastor meant that you got to do things that were just different. Sometimes we went exploring wild caves. Sometimes we made trips that other people wouldn't want to make. Sometimes we even went to Six Flags over Georgia or Disney World and One time, I took a bunch of kids, and nobody said they wanted to go. I took them to Opryland, and we had a ball. You've never seen kids laugh so much And when you take them to the Grand Ole Opry, and somebody comes out balancing a fiddle bow on their nose. They thought that was just the coolest thing they'd ever seen in their life. We've gone to places like Botolochi, Argentina. We've gone to places like Kenya. We've gone to places like Europe, and we've just gone into Colombia and Paraguay and We've had so much fun as youth pastors loving kids and teaching them how to take risk. One of the things that I would always tell them and I observed from their parents, I observed from sometimes other adults, and I said, look, as you get older, you're going to find yourself more and more risk adverse. But you don't want to lose that ability to take a risk. You don't want to lose that ability to take a calculated risk. one of the things that Becky and I have always prayed for, we prayed for you as a congregation, we prayed for ourselves, and that that is that God would give us influence. When I pray for you and I come to your family's name on my prayer list, I pray that God will increase your influence and your sphere of influence, and your, your job and your subdivision, on your, uh, your community, on whatever boards that you serve on, or committees that I'm aware that you serve on. I pray that God will just grow your influence and that people will want to know you and hear from you and- that they will see Jesus Christ in your, in your life. For you see, influence means that I take risk for the glory of God. There is no influence without taking some risk. There are people that perhaps that live their lives without taking any risk in life whatsoever, and there are the people that imitate their life, but there are very few, and those people really never contribute anything except maybe just taking up a space in life. But God calls us to take risk. When I observed the church in the book of Acts, especially after the day of Pentecost, especially after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and they poured out of that upper room where they were telling the wonderful things of God and declaring the glory of God. And people from all over the world were gathered. And as you follow that story, you, you see the gifts of the Spirit. You see the miracles that Jesus did, continuing to follow not just the disciples and the apostles, but working in the lives of people like Philip, working in the lives of women like Lydia. You see that God uses them for His glory, but Throughout the book of Acts, you could also call it the acts of the risk of the apostles because they took great risk for God. There were times that they were beaten. There were times that they were punished for preaching and speaking in the name of Jesus. But they only took that as a motivation to become bolder. They only took that as motivation to become more aggressive. They only took that as a motivation to more boldly express the love of God. And the beauty of the church is not that it was born on the day of Pentecost. The beauty of the church is that the same Holy Spirit that animated the life of the church on the day of Pentecost by giving gifts to every person there is the same Holy Spirit that animates your life and my life today. And what the world says is impossible is possible through Christ Jesus. Can you say amen to that? I read a study a number of years ago by Robert Clinton, who was commissioned by Fuller Theological Seminary, which is a strong evangelical seminary in California. Clinton did a a study, a survey of over a 1,000 biblical and contemporary leaders. And of these leaders that he studied, 70% of them fell somewhere in their life. They started out well. They started out enthusiastically for Christ. They started out energetically. They started out with vision. They started, as Dan sang wonderfully this morning, they started out as that kid dreaming about what they wanted to do, what they wanted to do for Christ. It might have been as a teenager, might have been as a young adult, it might have been like Becky when she was just a child and God was calling her into ministry of well, the 30% that made it, the 70% that ended poorly, but the 30% that made it, and you may want to jot these to the side of your outline this morning because I didn't have room to put them in for you, they all engaged. All 30% of them engaged in experiences that renewed them. It might have been for a contemporary leader. It might have been going for a hike. It might have been going skiing. It might have been boating, but they did something that renewed them. They also had a habit of daily engaging in the spiritual disciplines. They were people of prayer. They were people of the Bible. They were people who journaled. They were people who meditated upon the Word of the Lord. They were people, these 30%, they were people that kept an open mind. They were constantly learning in their life. John Maxwell is famous for saying that readers are not necessarily leaders, but leaders are always readers. These were people who could learn from those that were older than them. They could learn from people that were younger than them. They could learn from their peers. They didn't necessarily have to know it all. Each of them had at least 10 to 15 significant mentors in their life. Now, when Mr. Clinton is describing mentors, He's describing what we would call disciples here at this church. When I think of mentorship, and if you've been through a mentoring program with me, I think of mentorship it's teaching you a skill, maybe a, something I know how to do that I could mentor you in, or if you something you know how to do you could mentor me in. But when Mr. Clinton is talking about it, he's talking about people that are prayer partners and disciples, that sometimes when a leader runs into place and he's struggling to pray he meets with someone that helps him know how to pray, or if his vision suffers he meets with someone who helps him to cast into gain greater vision i have those people in my life who challenge me and encourage me when i hit those places but every single one of them also had this broad perspective in their life this perspective that life was about more than them and their family this perspective that life was more than about them and their family and the organization they were responsible for or the city or the community they were responsible for And as I studied this this entire leadership study that he had put together for Fuller Theological Seminary, I found out it was true in our denomination, I found out it was true in many other denominations, that of the thousand leaders at start, there is this high failure rate, there's this high rate where people burn out, rust out, give up, or put out, or some reason they just simply give up in life and they, they quit leading. I sat with someone recently who was talking to me about how their husband had given up. He had been a Christian leader. He had been a strong Christian leader. He had been a preacher, but somehow or another, he just got so discouraged and gave up and fell out of fellowship with the church and died with a bitter spirit and a bitter heart. Friends, I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want that to happen to anyone in my family. I don't want that to happen to anyone in the circle of influence that I have because I believe that God. God calls all of us not to fail, but God calls us to succeed. God has called us to be more than overcomers in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't stand to reason that the Lord who began this work in us would not want to finish this work in us, for the scripture is clear where He says that what He's begun in us, He will complete that work and we can commit everything we have to Christ and it will stand against that day. And the reason I am so confident about this, and I don't know if it's out there in the house, but I'm getting just a little bit of ring back up here. The reason that that is so important and what I want you to see, if you're going to do this, if you're going to have influence, if you're going to take risks, look at the life of Jesus. Jesus said this, and when I read this again just recently and as I was studying and preparing, this just leapt off the page of me. Jesus said, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Let's read that together, would you? I have given you an example to follow, stop. Who's our example? It's Jesus. Of course, we're supposed to be examples to one another. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't ever say, and I hear somebody say once in a while, don't look at me, look at Jesus. I can't see Jesus, but I can see you. Hmm? I can't see Jesus but I can see you. So I follow the example of Jesus that I read about in the Gospels. And then he tells me do as I have done to you. And friends I want God to be good to me. If you agree with that say amen. Amen. I want God to bless me. If you agree with that say amen. Amen. I want God to make me successful. If you agree with that say amen. Amen. I want God to love me. If you agree with that say amen. amen. I want God to like me. If you agree with that say amen. I want God to encourage me. If you agree with that, say amen. I want God to give to me. If you agree with that, say amen. Then Jesus says that you and I should do to others the very things that he has done for us. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? That's the example. A number of years ago, almost 20 years ago now, we were looking as pastors and board and leadership team here at this church and we were looking at what was God calling us to do? I invited a friend of mine who is the commissioner for evangelism to come down and to speak to our staff and speak to our board and our pastors. and. We sat and we talked together about a dream. As a young man, I had been encouraged to take risks for the glory of God. I had been encouraged that even though when I was learning how to walk with those braces and holding on to those wooden handles, sometimes you didn't want to let go. And I can remember those that were helping me at the crippled children's clinic saying, you're going to have to take a risk. You're going to have to let go. You may fall, but we're going to be here to help you. You may, you may stumble, but we're going to be help you. You may get hurt. You may be weak, but we're going to be here to help you. And so I've always been encouraged to take those risks. And I remember in our board meeting, one of our men said one night, he says, pastor, and he used a gambling metaphor. He said, I think we ought to be willing to take everything and just throw it up against the wall. I think we ought to just be willing to put it all on the table. If we fail, let's fail spectacularly, but let's try something great for the glory of God. And I knew that I was around the kind of people that I wanted to be around. God did not call us to be safe. He called us to be risk takers, to be dangerous to the Devil, and to be a blessing to the worlds. That's what Christ has called us to do. We begin to study and we begin to look at these things and we ask ourselves, what is God calling us to be? What is God calling us to do? What does the church look like when it's doing the church and being the church in the Bible? And out of that, it came about a conviction of our faith. It came about a a conviction of our values and our virtues. It came about a value, a vision of how we were going to do ministry and how we would fulfill that vision and how we knew we were fulfilling that vision. Friends, it wasn't something we envisioned. Invented, but our mission of celebrating God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ, this was something that God gave to us out of the word of the Lord. And out of that, for all these years together, we have been called to an adventure with Jesus. We have been called to an adventure. God hasn't called us to sit at home in front of our fireplaces and be as snug as a bug in a rug. There's more to life God met my needs, and now I want to say, God, use me. God saved me. God forgave my sins. God gave me a purpose for living. God healed me. God worked in my life. And I'm meeting people every single day that need to know that there's hope and that there's a reason for living. God has grown you in your faith. God has called you to serve others to help them grow in their faith. God has given you and God has given me influence, and he calls us to use that. It was one of the things that I loved about being a youth pastor for so many years. And it was the fact that kids were always willing to go on an adventure. And I can remember sometimes I would say to parents, come go with us. They go, oh, no, not me. I say, come go with us and let's go skiing. And you've got to understand, when you're from South Georgia and you want to go to Sugar Mountain in North Carolina, that's taking a real big risk because the snow is not powder the way it is in Colorado, the way God created it to be. It's ice in North Carolina. And when you fall, you just don't stop. You just keep sliding until you get to the bottom. First time Becky and I went skiing, we couldn't afford ski suits, so we skied in blue jeans and leather jackets. You talk about two little rednecks on a skiing heel. But we had the time of our lives and we came back and we told our kids about it. Said, We've got to go snow skiing and everybody wanted to go. We were on a ski trip one time on this adventure and it would have been real easy at this time for Becky to stay home. It would have been real easy for Becky not to go, but she decided to go. And on that trip, a little girl came to her, a little 16-year-old girl, and said, Becky, I'm pregnant." And Becky sat down with her and began to love her. And she says, what are you going to do? She says, well, when I get home, I'm going to have an abortion. And she says, Sonny, you can't do that. And she began to talk to her about different things that she could do. She could adopt the baby out. She could, there were parents that wanted it. Maybe her parents would help her raise it. And I will never forget the way the child responded to Becky when she says, oh, I could never give my baby up. And Becky looked her right in the eyes and took her hands gently in hers. And she said to her, But you could take its life and the little girl began to cry. You see, influence means you take risks for the glory of God. Influence means that you don't stay home where it's comfortable, but you get involved in the lives of children. You get involved in the lives of students. You get involved in the life of your community. You get involved in the lives of the basketball team or the football team. You get involved in the school. You get involved in the union. You get involved in your organizations that you're a part of and you take risks for the glory of God because you never know when God is going to take a fun adventure and give you a life-changing moment and not only was that little girl's life changed but that baby's life was changed all because Becky was not willing to stay home but she was willing to go on an adventure can you give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning God will use you God will use you another time I took Becky and she didn't want to go and I said honey please I need you to go I really do I even went and bought a double sleeping bag so we could sleep in it together. Isn't that sweet? I thought it was. We got up to the mountains where we were gonna go spelunking. She looked at that hole where we had to drop in the ground and she says, I'm not doing that. I said, you gotta do that. It's a long way back to the van. She said, I can't do that. I said, you can do that, baby. I said, it's just a hole. Look, you can see sunlight down there. So finally she took the rope and she slid down and she got there and she looked around and outside the hole it was dark. And then we started on a trip with our coal mining hats and Becky's hands were squeezing mine and she says, it's dark in here. I said, but you got a lamp on your head. And I said, Becky, we got 60 something college students in here with us. She says, I don't care, it's dark in here. And then we came to this ladder nailed to the side of a cliff inside the mountain. And she says, we got to go up that? And I go, yeah. she says, I can't do that. I said, yes, you can. So the guide goes up in front of Becky I come up behind Becky. It's muddy. It's got clay all over the ladder. We're climbing in the dark, 60 foot up a mountain. Becky is praying in the spirit. Not quietly, but out loud. She is praying in the spirit going up that ladder. We get to the top of that ladder. I come up behind her. She's shaking like a leaf. And the guide is so proud of her. He's patting her on the shoulder. You did great. And he turns to me and says, where is your wife from? I said, she's from Georgia. He goes, no, where's she really from? I didn't understand that language She's from. I said, you don't want to know. <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> We hiked for miles. We had to spend the night in that cave. I have never finished paying my debt for that one adventure. <laughs> I am reminded from time to time. <laughs> do you remember? You see, life isn't about an adventure. And you get involved in the lives of people. You get involved in the lives of your organizations. Organizations and God will use you. You see, sometimes you got to do something scary for Jesus. Jesus. Sometimes you've got to step out of your comfort zone and do something scary. My grandson, Nolan, when, a couple of years ago, I wanted him to do something with me, and he goes, I can't, Papa, it's scary. I said, Papa Papa will hold you. We'll do this together. He said, Papa, it's scary. So I took him. I said, you hold on to me real tight. I'm going to hold on to you real tight. Papa won't let nothing happen to you. And we jumped, and when we came up, he goes, oh! Do it again, Papa. Do it again, Papa. And I promise you that if you'll do something scary for Jesus, when you pop up, you're going to say, do it again, Papa God. Do it again. God will never let you down. Somebody give him a hand of praise this morning. God will never let you down. I'm trusting you up there because I don't know how close to hold this thing or not, and I'm just a little excited this morning. You've got to risk something great for God. You've got to take risk because there is no reward without risk. You know, there's no financial reward if you don't take a risk, there is no relational reward if you don't take a risk. I don't know, I forgot my change, so I ran out and got my BGMC change. And when I poured it in Emma's basket, Emma went, Wow. She doesn't know how long I've been saving that change for, but I don't know what Becky told you, but. Rachel is Chris's girlfriend and um, we're so proud to have her here. We're so glad that she shared. She did a great job. But a couple of years ago, I I was concerned, you know. Chris was 30 years old and there were still no marriage prospects in his life. And so I said, time for a father-son talk. So I got him out on the interstate where he couldn't get out of the car. He says, where are we going? I said, I don't know. We're just going. So finally I said, son. Have you asked anybody out on a date? And he goes, Dad, I know where this is going. I said, son, there is no reward without risk. Dad, I know that. And I said, son, sometimes you just... He goes, Dad, I ask girls out. I take girls out. I just haven't found the one yet. Can we let it go right there? I go, that's all I needed to hear. That's all I needed to hear. You see, there is no reward until you're willing to take a risk. And it amazes me the people, the companies, the churches, the communities that ask God to bless them, but they're not willing to risk anything for the glory of God. They ask God to do something for them, but they're not willing to sacrifice what they are for what they can become. They're not willing to give up the security of their safety for how God can use them. They're not willing to risk their reputation for how God can use them. You see, the words that Jesus gives us is this, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Read that with me. I will be with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is not there to hold you the way I held Nolan all of your life. I don't want to hold Nolan like that all of his life. I don't want to hold Davin like that all of his life. Instead, I want to be able to be on an adventure one day with my grandsons and with my son and my daughter and her children. I want to be on this great adventure where those that I poured my lives in, we can enjoy it together. God has not called us to live in a corner of security. God has called us to live in need of a miracle every single day. The reason he says I will be with you always because what he's called us to do we need the presence of God to be able to accomplish we need the presence of God there is no healing of the sick without the presence of God Doctors have told me we can only treat the symptoms, we can cut out the disease, we can give the antibiotics, we can use the lasers, but it's God who does the healing. It's God who brings about the healing. Not every doctor will tell you that, but sitting in the office of a cardiologist at the University of Michigan, he says, Pastor, the reason I'm taking you through all of this, I want you to know what we're doing for your member, but it's God who brings the healing. Friends, with God, all things are possible. Somebody give him another hand of praises morning (laughs) Becky and I have made some exciting trips over the years we've done some things that we look back now at and we laugh and said how in the world do we ever do that one of the things that we never just wanted to be was tourists You know what I mean by tourists. They're the people you see on vacation. They got two or three cameras hanging around them. They got a fanny pack on their back end. Everything about them says, tourists, tourists, we wanted to immerse ourselves in the culture. We'd walk down alleys and side streets and we'd find out where the working people laid at. We went to the places they did and shopped at. We Sometimes she was never with me on these trips where I'd go back into the jungles and I can remember my doctor saying, Dennis, you don't need to do that. You don't need to be back up in those jungles. And I'd say, well, I, I really believe like I've always believed God's called me. He says, well, I know there's no arguing with you, but he says, see me when you get back. And I've gone back and sat in huts and I've sat in fires and I've ate stuff that I've never wanted to ask what I ate. I'm afraid to know what I ate. But I confess what Jesus says, that what goes in the body goes out of the body and everything is going to be okay. Can you say amen to that? There have been times when I wish that I wasn't a Pentecostal so I could have had a drink of alcohol because of what I ate was so bad tasting and hoping that it would just kill anything that might have been in there. But you know, you can't do that. My doctor said you need to change denominations when I told him that. But God has always been faithful. God has always proved himself. Listen to me, church. God has not called us to be tourists. God has called us to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. We go where Jesus goes. We do what Jesus does. We don't get weird about it. We don't act weird about it. We don't try to make it happen. We just simply be the kind of people that God has called us to be. Come, Jesus said, come, follow me. How many of you remember this word, providence? How many of you remember that word, providence? It's not a word you hear often. I see a couple of people. Providence means something that God has arranged, something that God has achieved, something God has accomplished in your life. Providence, providence. Providentially, I meet someone. Providentially, I happen to be in a situation where I can be used. Providentially, I happen to drive up into the subdivision, not knowing that two doors down, there's a man that just got killed in an automobile accident. And somebody comes down and says, can you come and help pray and just be with his family? Providentially, you show up in the hospital to visit with somebody else. And on the way out, someone heard you pray. And they ask you, do you mind stepping in our room and praying with our family? And then you're able to share your faith. Providentially, you end up on a team that you're working upon. You didn't plan it this way, but suddenly people want to know about your faith. They want to know why you pray over your lunch. Providentially, you end up being asked to be a part of the basketball team or to coach the basketball team. Providentially, you end up with a neighbor next door to you that when you meet them, you strike up a conversation and there's just some sort of you see, God arranges our lives. The Bible says, the Bible says that God orders our footsteps. Friends, never underestimate the providence of God and what you're doing, what He's doing in your life. If you will ask God to use you, that's the most dangerous prayer you can pray. God will use you. God will use you. So I'd like you to take this little scale, this first point, and ask yourself this question this morning. Am I taking risk? One means you're not taking any risk. You're playing it as safe as you can. Five or six means, you know, I, I'm starting to, I'm trying. You know, six means I've taken a risk. If you're doing a 10, that means you've thrown it all on the line. You're doing everything you can to take risks. But would you take a moment and just grade yourself on that? There's no failing this and no looking on anybody else's page while you're doing it, okay? Now here's what I'd like to suggest. Not all of us are called to be 10s here, but all of us are called to live somewhere in the neighborhood of a seven or eight. All of us are called to live somewhere in the neighborhood of seven or eight. The greater the risk you take, the greater the risk you're willing to take, the more the reward that you can expect. Number two, my influence, my example is strengthened by memory of God's blessings. It's why my devotions are so important every day. When I sit down in the morning for my devotions with a cup of coffee and I read my scripture, after I read my scripture, I sit down and the very first thing I do is I write, what am I thankful for today? Generally I'll write two or three things I'm thankful for about Becky. I write something I'm thankful for about my family. I'll write something I'm thankful for about the church, something I'm thankful for that's happening in our nation. I'll think I just just start just and all during the day I'm just capturing stuff. I'm just quoting right into my cell phone. I see something, I'm thankful for that. And so the next day I just kind of record all of that. And as I and here's the reason I do that. And there's just so many other things that I do there, but let me just the reason I start with blessings is because I've noticed that when I record and I write down how God has blessed me, then suddenly those blessings in my life begin to overflow in other people's lives. When I think of how somebody said something that encouraged me, it's like during the day, I'm almost looking for somebody else that I can encourage. When somebody else has come along and and they have have been kind to me, I'm just looking for somebody else that I can be kind to. When somebody else comes along and and they've affirmed, I'm looking for someone I can be affirming to. When I think about how God has blessed Becky and I, and where he brought us from, I find myself wanting to say to others, you can make it. I don't know what's going on. I don't care really what you think may happen. I know that if you will put your hand in God's hands and trust him. God will pull you through if you can stand the pulling, God will pull you through. If you can stand the pulling, God will pull you through. Don't waste your breath and don't waste your time telling me God won't pull you through. The issue is, if I can stand the pulling, God will pull me through anything and He will make me more than an overcomer in Jesus Christ. And when I reflect upon God's generosity to me, I can't help but be more generous to others. I want to tip better. I want to give more. I want to do better because as I reflect upon God's blessings to me, I realize that I am not my source, but God is my source, and God is an inexhaustible source of strength and energy and love and compassion and time. God can do all things through us in Christ Jesus. Can we give him a hand of praise? It's not impossible. It's not impossible. You don't give up on your marriage. You don't give up on your kids. You don't give up on your calling. You don't be like those 70% who say it doesn't work and you find an excuse and you sit down on your butt and you say, God's not blessing me. God blesses you every single day of your life. You need to take time and recount your blessings. You need to take time and practice your spiritual disciplines and you need to take time and pass it on to somebody else. Well, give the Lord a hand of praise. Thankfulness overflows. You see, there's a danger in being blessed like we are in America. God says in the book of Deuteronomy, he's talking about the blessings that come and how he blesses us with homes and everything we need. He says, that's the time you need to be careful. That's the time you need to be careful. Beware that in your plenty. You do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, decrees that I am giving you today. I can never understand why people can be blessed and prospered by God, and then God gives them so much stuff, and then they don't have time to go worship God with the church anymore, they don't have time for ministry anymore, because they got all this stuff they got to play with. Can never understand that. It's the reason sometimes I pray, God, take away the prosperity from this one. Take away the prosperity from that one. God, don't let them die backslidden because they're enjoying their toys so much they no longer have time for you. But God, bring them back to a place like they used to be, where you were first and foremost in their life. God says, beware of that time. He goes on to say, remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you the power to be successful. Underline that in your outline. He is the one that gives you the power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. You have the power to be successful. Look, look at me right here. You have the power to be successful. The New Testament is clear that all these blessings that were given to Abraham. When I talked with some of my Jewish friends, I say we as Christians we claim those promises. One friend recently told me he says, "Well, I was told that Christians didn't believe those belonged to him." I go, "Oh yeah." I said, I don't mean to be insulting, but the Apostle Paul that we believe was an apostle of God, I know that you guys reject Jesus and you reject Paul, but he says that all of those that are necessarily born of Abraham, they're not necessarily of faith because they don't really believe God he says, it's not, Paul says it's not a racial thing. He says, but all of those of us who put our faith in Jesus, that we become seed of Abraham. And though I am not racially Jewish, spiritually I am Jewish, and all of those promises belong to me. And God says to me, and God says to you, I have given you the power to be successful. Look at your neighbor and says, say to them this morning, I can be a success. Now, say it like you really mean it. I can be a success. I'm telling you. Man, when I walk in and Becky looks at me with those baby blues, I go, va vah, va voom. I feel so successful. When my grandkids want to Skype, I feel successful. Yesterday, I watched one of them bowl a strike. Of course, the bumpers were up. I could bowl a strike if the bumpers were up. He's laying over the machine. He's jumping and doing all the... I felt successful. Why? Because I was never, ever supposed to have any of these things. They told me I couldn't. They told me I can't be an astronaut. They told me I can't be a pastor. They told me I can't be a husband. They told me I can't be a father. Whatever the devil says you can't be, God says you can this morning. Somebody say praise God. God says you can but there's a pulling factor that comes with it. There's a pulling factor that comes with it. And if you can't stand the pull in, honey, you will never know what it means to enjoy the blessings of God. Look at these blessings. All these blessings will come down on you and spread out beyond you because you have responded to the voice of God, your God. God's blessings inside the city, God's blessings in the country, God's blessings on your children, the crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the calves of your herd, the lambs of your flock, God's blessings on your basket and bread bowl, God's blessings in your coming in, God's blessings going out. God will defeat your enemies who attack you. They will come at you on one road and run away on seven roads. God will order a blessing on your barns on your workplaces, and he will bless you in the land that God has given you. How many of you want that kind of blessing in your life? Think about that. Some of you are going, oh, I, I, I don't need that. You are so self-deceived. If God was to take his hand of blessing off of you for one hour, you would find yourself running back to an altar of repentance. But God's not like that. Sometimes I wish he was. And I'm so glad that God doesn't listen to my fickleness. Because God says he sends his blessings on the just and the unjust. God makes it to rain on the just and the unjust. God makes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. You see, the reason sometimes people don't respond and receive these blessings is because they forget what the first part of the chapter in the book says. Remember that it's God who gave you the power to be successful. Remember that if God took away his hand, what your life would be like. And the simple fact of the matter is, one day soon, and very soon, we will all stand before him. You may have to take a risk in sharing your faith. You may have to take a risk in being a good neighbor. It's hard to be a good neighbor in Michigan in the wintertime. It's hard to go over and check on your neighbor and be sure they have everything they need. Sometimes it's hard to get out. I mean, the only time I see some of my neighbors is when we're putting the trash cans out. The other day, there's a new neighbor I've been wanting to meet. So I saw him pull in his driveway and I just zipped right into his driveway. Stopped him and said, hey, I'm Dennis Clanton. I live right down the street. I've lived in this subdivision for 20 years. It's a great, you got some great neighbors. Thanks, he's kind of shivering. I know he's like, I want to get away. I says, you know what? I'd love to take you to coffee sometime. I'm on our Facebook group for the neighborhood. This is the name of it. I'll let you go, but let me take you to coffee, or take you to lunch sometime. Now every time the dude sees me, he's waving at me. We won't have coffee or lunch until the spring, I'm sure, when I can catch him again. But, you know, that's just the way it is in Michigan. And then I'll probably catch him sitting in his garage, what Michiganders do, enjoying the the evening air. Why do we sit in our garages up here? (sighs) There are porches, okay. (laughs) What about your finances? This week I had three people come to me. Three people. One lady in our church came to me and she says, you know, Pastor, when you talked about missions last week, I wanted to be a missions giver, but I just couldn't. And this week God made a way. So she told me, last night at the prayer meeting how God made a way and she was giving to missions and this morning she told me, she says, in the first service, she says, I gave to missions and she was so excited. You could see the smile on her face. Another lady that we've been praying together here on Saturday nights for her son. He's been unemployed for over a year. He's a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. God just gave him a brand new job. Listen to this. God gave him a brand new job. I have their permission to share it. Making over $250,000 a year and 5% of the company's profits. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? He will be faithful with it. There's a third man. I've been praying with him. He's been in a long job search and God just gave him a job of over $300,000 a year. These aren't stories that are somewhere out in California or New York City or Miami, Florida or Dallas, Texas where you're used to hearing about big bucks. These are people right here in our community. I want you to know God is willing and more than able to pour out his blessings upon us if we're willing to take risks for the glory of God. Can we give him one more hand of praise? That's three in one week. So, Pastor, if I want God to bless my finances, how do I start? Number one, become a first-time giver. I've got to be quick here. Just, become a, just start giving. Start somewhere. John D. Rockefeller and Becky and I have visited two of their homes, but this is up in both of them. I could never give away millions of dollars unless I'd given away my first dollar. I don't know what all you may have read or heard about John D. Rockefeller, but I will tell you what I learned about in one of the cities that I lived in that he lived in for a while. He grew up in a dysfunctional family. His father was an alcoholic. His father was an abusive father. His father never took care of the family. He was always gone. It was his mother and he and his brothers who was always putting enough to eat on the table. But his mother taught them to tithe. And John D. Rockefeller tithed off of every dollar, off of every dime he got. No wonder God blessed him so much. I'm telling you, you can't outgive God. Number two, move from being just a star giver, but become a regular giver. That's the reason that many of us give on our, our phones or we give. We have our credit card set up to be able to give or our checking accounts, become a regular giver. Then I'd suggest to you become a tither. And let me say that's not a suggestion the Bible calls us. Jesus says that we should tithe. And as God blesses you, learn what it means to give extravagantly. Learn what it means to invest in missions. Learn what it means to invest into your local community, but let God use you. And so my application here is put God first in the use of your money. I don't know how many times people complain to me about not being able to meet their obligations. And so I ask them, do you tithe? And almost without exception, they go, no, I can't. I'm telling you, you're never going to be able to meet your challenges unless you put God first in your money. And by the way, If you don't give here, if you're a guest today, don't feel like you've got to give one single dime. I'm not interested in your money. I want you to be blessed. I don't make a single penny more, whether you do or whether you don't. That's not the point. I want you to give. And then finally this morning, my influence increases as I share the good news of Christ. My influence increases as I share the good news of Christ. In 2 Kings chapter seven, there's this wonderful story These lepers that had to be put outside the community and nobody wanted to be close to them because they were contagious. God providentially, remember what I said about providence? God providentially arranged for the invading army that was going to destroy Jerusalem. He arranged for them to be frightened off. It's a fascinating story in the Bible. You want to read it. But when they ran, they left behind their tents, their gold, their silver, their food, and these lepers who lived literally off the garbage they could find, they sat down, if you'll just let me kind of illustrate, they just sat down to a feast. They gorged themselves. I mean, they just filled, they were, as my daddy would used to say sometimes, he'd pat his stomach and say, i as full as a tick. They were gorged. And you know, sometimes it's okay to do that. Thanksgiving, Christmas, Super Bowl party, then you pay later, right? They gorge themselves, and while they're sitting there, suddenly the thought crosses them this is not right. We've got all of these blessings to ourselves. We need to go share the good news. The city's dying. I mean, people were dying because there was no food in the city. These lepers that everybody rejected, these lepers that everybody had scorned, these lepers that nobody, they had every reason to be bitter against the city. They had every reason to say, I will never say anything kind about them. I will never, they had every reason to be bitter and to hoard it all for themselves. Instead, they say, this is not right. And the lepers can't even come into the city walls, but they stand outside the city walls and they say, there's help. There's food. There's more than enough. And the city poured outside, and the city was saved. Here's what I want you to get from that story. Your influence increases as you share the good news of Jesus Christ. Look at this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. I was out with a believer the other day for breakfast, and he started eating. I says, do you mind if I pray before we eat? He he says, now? I go, yeah, okay. And I could tell, I was shocked. It embarrassed him, I wanted to pray. Well, you don't do that in front of me, because I knew, he knew everybody in that restaurant. So I said, well, let's bow our heads. He goes, okay. I said, Jesus, thank you. For blessing me with this good friend who loves you with all of his heart. Lord, thank you for this good meal that you have... Get. I could feel him sweating bullets across the table. Jesus, we thank you that every... It was, don't ever do that to me because I will pray a long prayer for the missionaries and everybody else in the world. We got done. Everybody's looking at us and looking at him. And I know they may have thought I was weird, but I just tell them I pastor First Baptist Church or First Lutheran and then go on. But the fact of the matter is this: never ever be ashamed of Jesus who hung naked for you upon a cross. It's that good news that is the power of God to save both the Jew and the Gentile. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning. Later, I'm having breakfast with one of our college students. He wanted to talk with me. I said, if you'll meet me for breakfast, we'll, early breakfast, we'll talk. He got up, he showed up early, and we pray together. He prays, we're talking. And this man who walks into the restaurant is a pretty salty kind of guy. His language is not what you would want your children talking like, or your husband or your son talking like. And he walks into the restaurant, and I could tell some of the staff was kind of leery of him. He's big. He's bulky. He's angry at the world. And he sits down, and I can see him looking at us. So we just talk about Jesus. We talk about the goodness of God. And suddenly, he pushes his chair back. It scrapes on the tile floor, and he comes marching over, and I thought, he the good news of Jesus Christ is the power of God. He walks over and he looks at me and he says, is this your son? I said, I wish he was, but he's not. He loves Jesus with all of his heart. And he looked at him and he says, young man, you need to listen to this guy. He knows what he's talking about. Your influence increases when you share the good news of Jesus Christ. Your influence increases when you share the good news. I have never lost a friend Lost or saved. Listen to me because some of you, the enemy's been lying to you because his target is not the lost person. He's got them, his target is you. You don't share your faith because you're afraid of turning them off. You don't share your faith because you're afraid of what they're going to think. The enemy is trying to intimidate you in your faith because the most dangerous thing that could happen to your lost friend is to hear what Christ has done in your life, to hear what Christ has done in your marriage, to hear what Christ has done in your health, to hear what Christ has done in your children. The most dangerous thing in the world is your message about how Jesus Christ made a difference in your life. And so he intimidates you. Never in 63 years lost one friend because I shared the good news of Jesus Christ either lost friend or saved friend I have never lost anybody the biggest lie of the devil is that if we share our faith somehow we're going to lose our influence our influence increases when we talk about Jesus Christ somebody give him a hand of praise Mark 2 and verse 17 and honey if you'll come on up When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. That phrase, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. When I was little, we had doctors and nurses come to the house all the time. I can remember Dr. Lanford opening up his bags and checking me and the nurses coming. Therapist, physical therapist, mind you, coming. Because I needed help. My sharecropper mother didn't know what to do. My father, who didn't have a father because he died when he was six, he worked hard on us, didn't know what to do. Providentially, I didn't know this until just a few years ago. Providentially, one day, a lady knocked on the door of our home out in the country. Mother went to the door and she said, I'm here to see your child. My mother was very naive about the things of the world. My small hometown, Macon, Georgia, was a huge place for her. Mom and Daddy was telling me this story. I was blown away. She said, let me tell you how you got into crippled children. She says, when the nurse came back and looked at you, she says, oh, this is not the baby I was supposed to see. I've never seen anything like this but this is where God wants me to be and that nurse got the doors open for things that led me to where I'm standing before you today never underestimate the providence of God in your life never underestimate my dad said dad how did you become a tither how did you pay for all these things because there was nothing he paid off the family farm while I was still growing up he goes son we just kept God first in our life it's the reason why you were not a child we taught you every dime you filled out a tithing envelope and you put a penny in there because we wanted you to know God would always take care of you if you put him first Never underestimate the blessings of putting God first in your life. And never let anybody tell you, you can't be an astronaut. Never let anybody tell you, you can't be a pastor. But you've got to understand that if you're going to reach lost people, this is not the spot to do it. We always want them to come to our spot. But we've got to move into their world. We've got to rub shoulders with them. We've got to be willing to do life with them the way Jesus was. Peter was a salty guy. Those two brothers, they had a real temper problem. And Jesus says, come follow me. Get into their world. And when you get into their world, look for the hurts that God can heal. Look for the needs that God can meet. Look for the interests and in the questions they have that God can answer. Has God met your needs? Say amen. Has God healed your hurts? Say amen. Has God been interested in the things that you're interested in? Say amen. You see, God loves them. He makes His blessings fall on the just and the unjust. And you've got to move into their world. And when you do that, Go ahead and put them up on the screen for me. You build friendships. You build friendships. Friendships that last and then many times they come to Jesus. But you can't do that. Look at me. You can't do that if you're constantly judging lost people. You can't do that if you're constantly looking down your holy nose at them as though somehow or another you're better. I am no better than anyone else. You've got to have the eyes of a doctor and not the eyes of a judge. You've got to see people with the eyes of a doctor, where do they hurt? Doctor ever pressed your tummy, he says, where does it hurt? Tell me what you feel. Tell me what you experience. Have you ever sat down with a good counselor and he says, when you face this situation, what goes through your mind? What does your heart do? Or if you sit down with someone and you just hear they're all interested in nature or the world or the environment or money or whatever it is, Jesus addresses all of those things. Maybe you're sitting with somebody, they're hurting over divorce or they're hurting over a child that's left them. They're hurting over a failure. Jesus has something to say to them and he can set them free. So could I ask you a question this morning? Would you look at that little scale? How are you doing? Well, celebrating God's love, but persuading lost people to become passionate followers of Christ. Are you building friendships? I have made myself accountable to several people in our congregation. I said, you know, almost everybody I'm doing life with lately is a follower of Jesus. And I said, I really need this year to break out of this circle. Need to do more life with lost friends, and so they're helping me. They're asking me every week, "How are you doing? Who did you meet this week? What did you talk?" I don't just. You, you can ask me. You can. Have, I don't care. You can ask me. What'd you talk about? I'm not talking about just something generic. What'd you talk about? And I'm gonna tell you something. When you are willing to see with the eyes of a doctor, you'll never lack for friends because people will always love you for loving them. Never let anybody tell you you can't be an astronaut. Amen? Stand with me this morning. I love you, Jesus. Oh my God, I love you so much. All I've ever wanted to do, Lord, is know you better serve you better and love you more each and every single day. Lord, all I've ever wanted since that time in the altar on 661 Orange Street in Macon, Georgia, when it seemed as though I could hear people going to hell, was to know that, Lord, somehow or another you would use my life to reach lost people. So I'm asking you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth today, birth dreams in us. God, help us to realize there's more power available to us as we follow you. Would you speak right now to some folks? It's time to take a risk. Maybe it's even time to risk something scary for hey, you, Jesus. Lord, would you help us to stop each day and remember your blessings in our life. And as we remember those blessings, that they will overflow in the lives of others. And Father, would you help us never be ashamed. But Lord, to be lovingly persuasive, to be bold expressors of the love of God in Christ Jesus, everyone that we meet. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and I know this morning I've really spoken to Christians, but there's so much here that you can take away for yourself. Friend, there's nothing better that you can take away than this. The providence of God arranged that you would be here today to hear the best news in the world that Jesus Christ died for your sins but he lives today and he loves you he likes you and he wants to save you and to use you and if you sense that drawing that's the eyes of the doctor that's the eyes of Jesus upon you today saying come and follow me don't try to clean up your temper don't try to clean up your act Matthew and James and John and all the rest of those guys they followed Jesus and Jesus changed them as they followed him so right now would you pray this prayer with me Say, Lord Jesus I thank you for loving me and I don't know how to explain it but inside it's like I feel your call commit my life, all of my life to you today. Please forgive me of my sins and be the Lord and Savior of my life in Jesus' name. Now you may not understand it all, but you commit your life to Christ and God will help you. If you prayed that no one's looking around, but just me, not even the sound team. Would you just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me this week. I'm coming. God bless you and you and you. Thank you. Yes, sir. And you. Yes, ma'am. God bless you, Al. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. God bless you. I see your hand. And you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise this morning, Shut Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Praise Him. Even the angels in heaven are rejoicing today. Hallelujah. 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 You can be seated. Pastor Rick is going to tell you in just a moment about a... Uh, well, Rick, you come on and tell him I've got a gift for you. If you'll fill out a communication card this morning and leave it you just committed your life. just check that back box. I committed my life to Christ. Stop by this table. They've got a gift for you. But also, if you'll leave it, I'll write you first thing tomorrow. I've got another gift for you as well. But I love you so much. Friends, let's give the Lord one more. I cannot, I don't know how many people gave their heart to Christ today.